Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Now, when God gave his people seven feasts of the Lord that they were to commemorate during each year, he expected all of them to be observed in a serious manner, in a solemn way. But the one that was the most serious, the one that was the most solemn of all, was called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. It was a time when God's people were expected to deal with their sin in a real and serious way before him. Well, how did they do that? We're going to talk about that in this episode, part one of uh, the Day of Atonement. That's what this episode is all about. Yeah, thank you for uh, introducing our topic today. We are, as you know, going through those seven feasts of the Lord, uh, the seven appointed times uh, that God gave to his people, as we find in Leviticus 23. And uh, we have gone through the first five at this point. Uh, The first three, uh, actually the first four, I guess, technically are considered spring feasts. Uh, we have Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits that all kind of come boom, 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 uh, one right after another in quick succession in what is on the Jewish calendar the first uh, month of the year called Nisan, and that typically is in April-ish uh, of our calendar. Uh, and these spring feasts for us is, and then and then there's the, the feast of weeks which uh, we call in the Christian uh, church Pentecost, which takes place 50 days after first fruits. So you have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, the first uh, uh, in, in the first part of uh, Nisan during the, the kind of the middle of Nisan, that first month, and then 50 days after first fruits, you have uh, the feast of weeks or Shavuot is called or we call it Pentecost. And so those are all considered spring feasts. And for us as Christians, those look back at Jesus' first coming. They were the things that those foreshadowed were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. So then we have a, a period of time uh, where there really aren't any uh, special feasts or appointed times. And we said last week that that is really 
in the grand calendar, God's grand calendar, that this is symbolic of the church age that we're currently in at this point in time. And then we come to the fall feasts, and there are three fall feasts, uh, which round out the seven. There's the Feast of Trumpets, which we learn really should have been called or should be called the Feast of the Shofars, um, because they're not talking about the metal trumpets, the brass trumpets. They're talking about ram's horns, and um, that happened. And, and so you have that, and it, the Feast we, it's known more commonly as Rosh Hashanah. And we talked about last week how in how that represents the, the God's calendar is that some people believe, and I do believe too, that uh, the rapture will happen on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, that when God came down to meet with his people on Mount Sinai, there was a shofar that sounded from heaven. And we read in Thessalonians that when the rapture happens and Jesus comes down uh, to meet with his people in the air, there's another shofar that sounds. So the poetry of God just makes too much sense that when God comes down to meet with his people and there's a shofar and we go to meet with him, uh, that is too too symbolic and too obvious not to happen in that way, I, I think. And so, uh, the, the, I should have said beforehand, the three fall feasts all foreshadow what is going to happen in the future with Jesus' second coming. And so uh, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, Rosh Hashanah, is foreshadowing the rapture. Now, the remaining two fall feasts are we're going to talk about today, the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur. And then we'll, next week we'll look at the Feast of Tabernacles. So these feasts, Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles, tabernacles all happen in the Jewish month of Tishri, which is the seventh month. The perfect number for God, right? So it makes sense. And so uh, trumpets or uh, Rosh Hashanah is on the first day of Tishri, and then 10 days later comes Yom Kippur on Tishri, the 10th of Tishri. So uh, that's what we're going to look at today is that Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur or the, or the Day of Atonement, or uh, some in the Jewish faith, you can just call it the day, and people know what you're talking about. Or you can just call it atonement, and people know what you're talking about. Um, Yom Kippur, and Kippur is Hebrew for to cover, to cover. So when you talk about atonement, it atonement means covering. It means covering. So uh, on Yom Kippur, um, a covering was made. A covering was made uh, to cover cover the years since of the of the year gone by. So uh, when you come to Yom Kippur, uh, you receive a covering for the sins that you've committed in that year gone by, and that's done through the blood of a sacrificial animal. So that is the overarching idea of what, Yom, of what Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is about, is a covering of the sins of the nation, the sins of all the people, your sins, for the year gone by, and it's done through the sacrificial blood of animals. So let's look and see what it says in the Bible. If you have your Bible, <clears throat> Leviticus 23, this is where it's all given, my new tree of life Bible, my true tree of life Bible, which was uh, you know written by Messianic Jews, and it's designed to give a Jewish look at all things, both Old Testament and New Testament. So Leviticus 
and it's chapter 23, and start with verse 26. Did they have that in large print? You know, I wish they did. <laughs> I really do. So um, verse 26, and the heading of my Bible says the fall festivals. And um, so verse 26 starts, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, However, the tenth day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur, uh, a holy convocation to you, so you are to afflict yourselves. Now, we haven't seen anywhere in any of the feasts before this, this kind of language. You are to, do, what do, do, does someone else have a different? Deny yourselves. Deny yourselves, okay. Afflict yourselves, I have deny yourself later on. So in the Jewish way of thinking, they're called to actually afflict themselves. And so this is an idea of how serious this observance is. This is the most solemn observance of all the seven. Uh, it's hard to even really describe how solemn and serious and sacred the Jewish people took this Yom Kippur, this Day of Atonement. Uh, I guess on our calendar, in the Christian calendar, we would say our probably most solemn day is Good Friday, where we remember the crucifixion of Christ. It's a solemn, solemn day for us because of what happened and what Christ did for us. Uh, well, that is the same kind of idea for Yom Kippur for the Jewish people. It's that same kind of very, very solemn. And so it's reflected here in the language that God is using. You are to afflict yourselves. Uh, you are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai, you are not to do any kind of work on that set day, any kind of work. For it is Yom Kippur to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. For anyone who does not, now, see, I, now here I have deny himself. For anyone who does not deny himself. And actually, what do you have on there? Do you have no, deny yourself? No. So the humble. Humble, okay, that's a good one. I um, down the bottom, says, or fast. Right. So this, that's, there's two different things there. Afflict and deny are, you know, they're, they're two different things. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay. So, uh, where are we? So, uh, anyone who does, let's see, where am I? For anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. You're excommunicated from the Jewish faith. Anyone who does any kind of work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. Do you have any other translation? Okay. I will destroy. What does destroy mean? I mean, so if you do any kind of work that day, I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no kind of work. He says a second time. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It is to be a Shabbat, a Sabbath, of solemn rest for you, and you are to humble your souls. On the ninth day of the month in the evening, from evening until evening, remember their day starts at evening. So the new day starts at around six o'clock that evening goes to six o'clock the night. That's the day for them. So he's saying on the ninth day of the month, in the evening, from evening until evening, in other words, from the evening of the ninth day to the evening of the tenth day. So it's a 24-hour period. You are to keep your Shabbat, your Sabbath. So what people uh, of the Jewish faith, uh, even today, some of them, if they're really orthodox, they believe that they are so supposed to spend 24 hours 
Back then it would be in the temple, or back in that day maybe the tabernacle, or today in the synagogue, or if you're over in Jerusalem today, it might be at the wailing wall. Uh, but they, some of them do say that and plan to spend 24-hour period in 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 thinking about their sin and all the things that they have done wrong that year and, um, you know, confessing and, and so forth. So um, th- it's a very serious and important thing. Now let's look over to Numbers, which tells us a little bit more about the, sacrifice, the sacrifices that are made. Numbers 29, Numbers 29, 7 it says, on the tenth day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly. You are to deny yourselves and do no work. You are to present to Adonai a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma, one young bull from the herd, one ram, and seven-year-old male lambs without defect, along with their grain offerings, a fine flour mixed with oil, <clears throat> three-tenths of an ephah with the bull, two-tenths with the ram, and one-tenth with each of the seven lambs. Also offer one male goat for a sin offering, in addition to the sin offering for atonement, as well as the regular burnt offering with this grain offering and the drink offering. So as is with all of these, there are a lot of sacrifices are going on as part of this. These that he's talking about there are for individual sacrifices that you make as an individual, not the sacrifices made uh, on the, by the priest on behalf of the nation. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So uh, let's go into a little bit of what, what goes on here. For the Day of Atonement. Um, one of the things it says there is to afflict your souls, right? Afflict your <coughs> souls. So the idea there is that when it says afflict your souls, that this is a, a spiritual affliction. And the idea there is that you have to deal with your sins during this time. You have to admit the sins that you've committed. You have to uh, confess those sins. You have to deal with your sin. So that is the afflict your souls. That's the spiritual affliction that you bring on yourself as a sinner before you know a, a, a holy God. And you have to repent of those sins. You have to tell God you're sorry. I did this. I'm sorry. So on and so forth. Um, you know, when we get into repenting and asking forgiveness for our sins, uh, you can sometimes get into a habit of just saying, God, please forgive me my sins. And you think, and it is, you know, God forgives your sins. I mean, you know. But really and truly, you, we really should deal with our sins a little bit more seriously than that, I think. And I think that when we get to asking forgiveness for sins, if we know we did something wrong, we need to call that out by name. God, I'm sorry that I did this. I'm sorry that I said this. I'm sorry that I didn't say this. Uh, I think it's a good idea when you're asking forgiveness for your sins to be specific. And then you can all, and at the end, as I always do say, and Lord, please forgive me for all of my sins. No, in case I forgot something, I want to have a catch-all. But I think it's a good idea. And so this is what these people did. They had to really confess their sins and deal with them and think about it and then ask for forgiveness and repent of those sins. So, yeah, Ruth? I think you just did two things, though. You can confess your sins, say, yes, I did that. And then, like the politicians say, well, I take responsibility. But you can also say you were sorry for it. Yes. And that's repentance. Correct. 
So you did two things, and it wasn't just confessing. Yes, I, I Confess, they go hand in hand, confessing, repenting. Not always. But you, but you really need to do both. All, yes, you need yes. to. Right, right. You don't always do that. Correct. You did that, but I'm not going to change. Right, right. Okay. Chuck? I just want to say yeah. it. Good point. Confession is important from Colossians and all he tells, you know, confess your sins to one another. The forgiveness part, asking for it, I think it's more of thanking him for it, praising him for it, because we were forgiven back at Calvary for everything, past, present, and future. And so it's more of confessing and then praising him for the forgiveness that he already has given us. We don't have to beg for it. No, right. It's there. It's done. Yeah. I go back. Yeah, Dennis. Just, just one more aspect of that. Uh, the repentance is the turning around. Right. Going in a different direction. So there's more than just a casual, please forgive me. It's a determination, a recognition a determination and a, a resetting of direction. Uh, so repentance is, is an important, a key part of the uh, confession and forgiveness. Yeah, I, one thing that I go back to is uh, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You know, He came to Peter, and Peter said, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, I don't need you to wash your whole body. I only need to wash your feet. And I take that, my interpretation of that is that he was saying to Peter is, I don't need to, you don't need to have your sin forgiven. You've been redeemed. So that is taken care of. But I just need to wash your feet for the dirt of the day. So we don't need to just go to God and say, please save me, please save me, please save me, over and over again. That's already been done. He's already washed our bodies that way. But we still need to have the dirt of the day washed from our feet. So it's still not a bad idea to ask him forgiveness or thank him for forgiveness or whatever, but our daily sins also need to be, you know, I think, personally, I think need to be just uh, confessed and redeemed and, and, and forgiven uh, because we sin every single day. Um, it doesn't just say humble. It says, at least my version says, humble your souls. And that speaks to me as going deep inside of me and listening to what I've done wrong and then along with what you said if you ask while you're doing that for the opposite of what you've been doing that's taking it to the cross and turning it around and asking what do I do now yeah, I think you hit that on the head is what they were doing is that reflects the seriousness, you know, the humbleness. Of, they had to get down into the real soul part of it. Uh, that's what this whole this whole feast was all about. This whole observance was all about. And then we go on when we take communion, we're going the next step every time we take communion. And communion is extremely serious. If you look at First Corinthians, when he talks about communion or second, says, hey, some of you have taken this just casually yeah and some of you are sick and some of you have hit, had an early death because of taking communion or not making this a solemn thing that we're doing every time we take communion. i would like us to do communion much more make it a much more something that we don't just do because it's the first sunday of the month and we take it we move on uh, i would like us to really spend more time focusing on that because you're right it's we're told 
this is something you need to really, I mean, do we, when you take the bread, do you really, are you really thinking about Jesus' body being broken? For, are you really thinking about the nails in his hands and, and are you, the, 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 the thorn of his crown? Are you really thinking, we take that cup, are you really thinking about the blood that was flowing from it? If you're not, then you're not doing it right. But sometimes we rush through it so quickly, or we do it so casually, that we don't have really time to, you know, I just like, I'd like that to be like extended and pulled out so we can get the, you know, <laughs> get it more. I would just like it to be done differently. <laughs> when you use the liturgy, it becomes a different thing. Uh, having done, when, I, when we had communion at the church I was with, Sometimes we did the short version, but more often than not, we did the liturgy, and everything had a meaning, and it was really hitting home about, you know, your forgiveness and what Jesus actually did, you know, and we even talked about the cup of redemption. And I think sometimes we take for granted, because having been a Baptist, uh, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's Indy 500 sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and but uh, uh, when you actually now I've been to Catholic Church I've been to the Episcopal Church I've been Presbyterian I mean you name it in all the different <clears throat> versions but the liturgy when you use the liturgy it takes on a whole new meaning so I learned how to use that liturgy to bring meaning to everybody and you know the other thing that I you know as we're talking about the forgiveness and the redemption the next step is to actually live it because that's what we miss so much of the time oh forgive me well then you go skipping along and then you're going back doing the same thing over and over again we don't take it seriously and I, I feel that once you take that time to confess before God and to try to turn things around in your life you've got to live it day by day and that's where it becomes tough because everything else is being thrown at us at the same time and uh, then oh gee I didn't think about that so yeah I confession I think I mean redemption from Jesus is there but we put up the roadblock <laughs> you're right though we, we have to, our lives have to change you know before Christ after Christ go ahead just one quick thing. Yeah, please. You mentioned the Indian 500. Well, we had one lady in our church who was very efficient, and she's an eye doctor, very professional, and she's she just gets, gets lots of things accomplished. And she talked to me one day and says, you know, if we had more people taking out or passing out communion, it wouldn't take so long. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else already up there in the balcony. It's already poured. Everything, everything's already gone. And then we wouldn't have to sit there so long. And I said, Andrea? <laughs> it's not the point. <laughs> we can sit there and meditate and think about what it gives us that. Amen. Amen. And she said, oh. <laughs> so, of course. Well, she just had a different way of organizing her life. <laughs> well, uh, they do this just yearly, uh, this festival, right? Yes, and, once a year. I mean, it sounds like we should do this way more often. Well, yeah, that's why in the church, you know, yeah, we have the so communion once a month, you know, and that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> we had communion with a group of medical students one year, 
and it was in a fraternity house, a bunch of guys there. <laughs> and they started out with a, a foot washing, mm-hmm. um, which was probably the most humbling thing. I could wash anybody's feet, but it was really hard for me to let somebody uh, wash mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't bother me. And, and you were humbled, and then the leader wanted us to re- repent and, and talk to God about our sin. And then we had communion. And I, I don't think I've ever been in a church service that I felt closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was such a wonderful experience, and there was hugging and praying. Uh, one, one young man was having problems with alcohol, and, and he confessed it to the group. And it was, it was just a remarkable experience, remember? Uh, I, I, I long for something yeah, because communion is so powerful. I mean, it is. It's the cornerstone, uh, represents the cornerstone, you know, of what we as Christians believe. And so, um, yeah, I think sometimes we need to pay a little bit more importance to it. Get back. One of my most meaningful communion services we were at, our first year at the Green Lake Mission Conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin. Yeah. Yes. And they had a communion service, and the man that served me communion and our group had been led to the Lord by a missionary. So he was from another country and and ministering to me. Mm. And the fruit of the missionaries that had, had that been there. And it was very humbling. Probably the most moving one I ever was a part of was uh, when we were members at Mount Washington, and we reenacted kind of the Last Supper, and and some of us dressed up as uh, apostles, and so they had the table set up, and all of us came out, and we no, there was nothing said; it was just posing. We came out, and we all you know, one at a time. We all sit down, and you know before it was over, we were all were there as around the Last Supper table, like you see it in Da Vinci's painting. And then from there, those of us who were uh, apostles served communion to the congregation. And that was so moving to me to think that I, as you know, one of the apostles at the Last Supper, it just blew my mind, you know, so you, you can even, really... Did you even have a Judas? Uh, we did, oh. yeah. And I think he had to leave beforehand or something. <laughs> he couldn't be part of that, though. I'm going to try to be serious after that. Uh, my favorite time was always Monday Thursday because yeah. it was very solemn. We darkened the church and, you know, we lit the candles and we took the communion. And we extinguished the candles. Uh, I was always lighting them beforehand, but uh, distinguished them, and then you know we did the communion. It was just so solid. That's very and no. After it was over, all the lights were out, and no one spoke as they so left. Right. Yeah. And that just, yeah. That that's always, like our Good Friday. Yeah, yeah. 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 we didn't have Good Friday. We had Monday, Monday Thursday Friday. instead. But, but that just moved me, you know, every single yeah. time, more so than. When we served communion, one thing that was really tradition. We have people to serve you as you came up for communion, but you put your arms around them and prayed with them whatever was going on with them. They could 
say, well, I need prayer for, or we would have a person designated to special prayers. But uh, we always made it very personal and, um, and always gave people a hug before they went back to their pew. Hmm. And uh, I miss that because there's that personal contact because you're hearing about Jesus' forgiveness and why Jesus gave us communion and why he made the sacrifice and you haven't that reaffirmed as you were receiving uh, communion because what would happen is they would serve themselves. You'd hold a chalice and you'd hold a, a wafer and they would serve themselves after the prayer. We've done that here. Right. I think maybe we haven't done it since COVID. Right. We yeah. haven't done that. The uh, most surprising communion I ever had, <laughs> we were visiting my uh, daughter and uh, her in-laws they are really involved in the Lutheran church up there and so we're there for a communion Sunday and um, so they have where they have like we have like with the individual cups and so forth but you go you go up and it's like you say a self-serve kind of thing and then you come back to your uh, pew and sit and then that you partake of the elements so I go up and I look in the I've never done this before up there and I, I look in the, uh, you know, the juice uh, thing, and uh, there's purple and there's white. And I'm thinking, okay, it was purple grape juice and white grape juice. I don't know. That's what it's grape juice. I don't remember which one I picked, but whichever one I picked, I go back to, then we're taking, I take it, and I'm like, whoa, that is real alcohol. <laughs> So apparently, apparently the members know they don't they don't bother to tell visitors the white is wine or the red is wine the other is juice and so if you want real wine you can take it if you want juice you can take it but I didn't know I got the wrong one I'm like Whew, man I don't know you should tell people beforehand so that that was a bit of a surprise that was a bit of a surprise right there it kind of set me back so I'm reading a book on forgiveness right now and and you talk about the deep soul. And her approach was that it's cooperation with God and that the goal is when you go to change direction that you are actually looking into the Spirit allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell you to change your direction and when you receive the Spirit then you're able to give it to other people. Um, so it's the incoming and the outgoing. There's no question that the change we make can't be made on our own human effort. It's the Holy Spirit within us that makes that possible, you know. One last thing, and we'll move on. I'm going to get back to what you said about the lady who wanted to do communion more quickly. Uh, the uh, uh, Board of Deacons, the, the, the chairman of the Board of Deacons in our church, uh, in my church, used to have a saying. He used, to tell me, he used to tell me this all the time. We started our church, we started service at 11 there. And... Uh, he would come up to me afterwards many, many times and say, Greg, you know, no one is saved after noon on Sunday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so keep it moving. <laughs> uh, and my, my choir director used to always say, you know, you can't, how long, how long is the sermon today? You know, every Sunday, how long is the sermon today? And I would say, Ellis, I just have to preach the passage. I can't tell you. I just have to preach the path, whatever it is, you know. And he hated that because he also wanted to be out there by noon. So. The church he was young too, uh, also took care of a church downtown, a black church. 
And uh, once a year, the black pastor would come out and speak at our church. And uh, the past, he asked the pastor one time about how long he needed to preach. And, he, and the, our pastor said, well, you can preach as long as you want, but the seats will be empty. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Exactly right. So uh, the other thing then is it says you are to also deny yourself. And, and the passage I read there from the Tree of Life Bible, it makes a distinction between afflicting your souls and denying yourself. And the idea here with deny yourself is this is a, is this is a the other one was a spiritual affliction. This is a physical affliction. So it says deny yourself, it means to fast. It means this is also supposed to be a 24-hour period of fasting as well as, you know, confessing your sin and, and, and dealing with your sin. So it's a spiritual affliction. It's also a physical affliction, a part of this uh, Day of Atonement. Do they still do that? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, at least those who, you know, observe it uh, the way that, uh, that you know, with an orthodox kind of uh, viewpoint. Mm -hmm. The other thing it says is no work. It means absolutely no work, nothing. Uh, what would happen if you did work? Uh, my translation said, you know, that God would destroy you. I mean, it has the connotation of death. I mean, you work on the Day of Atonement, you're risking your life. Uh, it is that serious. It's so serious that some people, even today, feel on the Day of Atonement, they can't brush their teeth. That's work. Can't brush your hair. That's work. Yeah, so anything, all of that. And also, I forgot about on the fasting part. Some people take it so seriously, they, think they can't even drink water as part of that fast. So you can take it to, you know, however you think. But, you know, if, if it's this serious and God is this serious about it, they don't want to take a chance. You know, so I'm not going to brush my teeth, I'm not comb my hair, I'm not going to drink any water. I mean, I'm going to really go. You're very I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go by, go by the book, as they say. We have a neighbor that's Muslim. Practices Ramadan, and he—if it's in the summer, he won't even go down to the pool during that time because he's afraid water might get in his mouth. Mm. I mean, it's that—he's that serious about it. Well, you know, um, not so much even today that it happens, but it used to happen more often uh, back in like the '60s and '50s and so forth. But like uh, certain like baseball players, because this always happens in the fall of the year, like September, October. Like Sandy Koufax would not play on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur. He would not play that day. And some other Jewish athletes would not compete um, on the uh, Yom Kippur because it was work and they weren't supposed to work. So, the why, other th why yeah. Why God so demanding on that? Because, you know, it's the it just shows the seriousness of sin, you know, the burden of sin. And these are burdens. The things we're talking about here are burdens. It's not easy to fast. It's not easy to deal with your sin. It's not easy to not work. But that's the whole point because sin is a burden and it should you should be burdened by it when you're trying to deal with it. That's all part of it. So, yeah. I think we were surprised at the Shabbat elevator that you do not push the button. Oh, uh huh. On the Sabbath. Would you over the Holy Land when? The, yeah. You, you get on that elevator every four stops at every four. So you don't have to push a button. And it stops automatically. Opens, the door opens. You wait until it hits your floor. It's, I hear scriptures yeah. like that, and I think, well, what if somebody got sick? 
As a doctor, right? Yeah. What is a doctor? You're not allowed to help someone. Well, and that's what Jesus kind of said when it. Yeah, came. right. Like, but they did. They they did. More important than observing. They would. The, uh, I'm sure a doctor would not have worked. Would not well, have. A pastor. Works. There were more than Jews in. Right. Oh sure, city. sure. But if you were a Jewish doctor, you probably weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you wouldn't walk to the doctor. No, <laughs> a certain distance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. To show you how far you can walk. So were those God's rules or were those... Well, God said don't work. God said don't work. And then it's up to a man, then man interpreted what that meant. So. Okay. Well, that's they added all of a lot of the stuff. Right. Like I know it was work to yeah. pick up a... You're right. I mean, that's what Jesus said. You know, yeah. it's that you're not you're not getting the spirit of what I'm saying. You're the way you should. You know. Yeah. I was just thinking about that a number of years ago, and and why why wouldn't we work on the Sabbath? And then here's more more work on the Day of Atonement. That's very important. And all of the feasts are a picture that reveal Jesus. And it just. I always just think I've only heard, I've only talked to two people who agreed with me and um, never heard any ser- um, sermon on the radio or anything about that. But if we're not to work, I just thought that was, especially on the Day of Atonement and the, and the Sabbath, because Christ was going to do the work of salvation for us. And it was a reminder every week and every year that we couldn't do, we couldn't. We couldn't earn salvation for ourselves. And if it's a picture of Jesus, that's what Jesus did. I have no problem with that. I think also the the point is, you know, when you're working, you're not thinking about God necessarily. So I think we're called to have these Sabbaths and and this when no these convocations when no work is to be done, because the point is to focus on God on those days. And if you're working, you're not really focusing on God, you're focusing on yourself or your work or whatever. So um, Yeah. Hebrews 4 talks about entering into his rest. Right. You know, have you entered into his rest or you will not enter into his rest because you're right. trying to earn your own salvation yeah. or trying to get to heaven your own life. And also, you know, uh, so you don't work one day, you know, maybe you don't make money that day, but that gets back into faith that if you obey God and take a day of rest for him, He'll still meet your need, you know, and have faith that he will, he'll be able to do that for you. So They got twice as much mana. <laughs> That's right. They got twice as much mana on that day. That's right. To last two days instead of one. The other thing that happened on uh, the Day of Atonement was it was the only day of the year that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place in the temple. Uh, and... On that, he would, and we'll talk about what what all he did and what all happened when he was in there. But one of the things he had to do was he had to wear special clothing. It had to be white clothing made out of a white linen, and he would only wear it that day. And then when he finished and took it off, he would never wear that again. So let's look look at Levert, go back to Leviticus chapter sixteen, and we're going to look at the first. Day of Atonement, which involved Aaron, who was the first priest, high priest, uh, Leviticus 16, and uh, we're going to, and we're here, they're dealing with the tabernacle, 
which also had a holy of holies, just like the temple did. So everything it says here about Aaron was also true of the high priest in Jerusalem. Everything it says about the tabernacle is also true about the temple. It's just this was an earlier time before the temple. So uh, ver- chapter 16 of Leviticus, verse 3, it says, In this way, Aaron... Uh, this, in this way shall Aaron come into the sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He has to put on the holy linen garment, have the linen undergarments on his body, put the linen sash and we- put on the linen sash and wear the linen turban. They are holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. This is also something that was done only on the Day of Atonement that the high priest would bathe his, that he would immerse his whole body in uh, a special like golden bath, as it were, um, before he would get dressed for this ceremony. Uh, and for all the other feasts, he would just wash his hands and his feet from a laver that was there. But on the Day of Atonement, he had to wash his whole body, which I think is interesting because the Day of Atonement, he's basically getting baptized, <laughs> which is, you know, as Christians, we see that symbolism. So then skip over to verse 23 of 16. It says, uh, then Aaron, this is afterwards when he's finished with the, 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 the ceremony. Uh, then Aaron is to come into the tent of meeting, take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and leave them there. He is to bathe himself with water in a holy place, put on his regular garments, and come out to offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. So you put on these special garments, you go in and you do the things that you're doing as the high priest and in the temple or the tabernacle. When you're finished, you come out, you take them off, and you don't ever wear those again. And uh, you have to bathe yourself completely both before and after. Basically, um, during uh, Jesus' day, when they were celebrating Yom Kippur, the priest would bathe himself five times because there were three different services. And so he would actually do that three different or five times before the Day of Atonement was completely finished. I did want to read this to you because this is something else that happened only on Yom Kippur. And we'll finish with this today. Oh, and I want to do a quick uh, video. But uh, we're going to go, this is part one of Yom Kippur. We're going to do, do two parts because Yom Kippur is so serious. There's so much with it that we really need to spend two days with it, two Sundays with it to really digest it completely and, and, and to do it well. So, uh, But this is the last part of uh, what was kind of part and partial with Yom Kippur. And this is the purification of the high priest. And I wanted to read this to you from the book here because they do a really great job of describing it. This is the only um, time in all of these that it was so important that the high priest also be purified because he's going into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the nation. So it says here, um, it was absolutely crucial to the nation that their high priest did not inadvertently become ritually unclean and thereby disqualified from performing his Yom Kippur duties. To safeguard against this disastrous possibility, the high priest was required to leave his home one week before Yom Kippur to stay in the high priest's quarters inside the temple area. During the week, the high priest was twice sprinkled with the ashes of a red heifer to circumvent the possibility that he had become unclean through touching a dead body. Such was the normal cleaning process 
uh, for ceremonial defilement found in Numbers. Uh, a substitute was also appointed for the high priest in the event that he should die or, despite all precautions, become unclean. The substitute was usually next in line for the high priest's office and, as such, was most the most powerful individual in the temple after the high priest. He was the captain of the temple and exercised direct command of the officers of the temple guard. Remember, we talked in Acts, the, t- the temple guard and the, uh, the, the captain. Well, this is the person that they're talking about, the backup for the high priest. It says, the high priest did not perform the temple services on a regular basis, but during the week leading up to Yom Kippur, he alone conducted the sacrifices. All aspects of his duties for the coming holy day were faithfully practiced, whether it was sprinkling blood on his thumb and forefinger, burning incense, lighting the menorah, the lampstand, or rehearsing his movements throughout the temple. There could be no mistakes, or the result would be a monumental catastrophe and humiliation for the nation. Israel's sacrifices would be disqualified, leaving the sins of the people uncovered. I think that was interesting because I don't know if you saw it or not, but there was a thing that was just revealed. There was this Catholic priest who was, for since 1995, performing uh, um, baptisms. And, you know, in the Catholic Church, they have to baptize infants because their belief is if the baby dies before he's or she is baptized, that they won't be saved. So they have to get them to the baptism as soon as they can and get that baptism done quickly. Well, come to find out that this man, when he was giving the, the baptism, uh, he was saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, it turns out he should not have been saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son. He should have been saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So he's saying, we instead of I. So the Catholic Church has determined that every single person that he baptized for the last 30 years, they, did, they, they weren't really baptized. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. You're not really baptized because he said one word wrong. So it means, like, for there, they're thinking they've lost their salvation now. You know, they have to go back and get baptized and get rebaptized. So when you get that legalism, you know, this is the kind of thing that uh, can happen, and that's what happens here. They had to make sure that that high priest was doing everything exactly the right way. But that was because of the holiness of God and how sacred he was. <laughs> Right, exactly. But that's ready. But the other, yeah. you know, that kept, didn't have anything to do with that. Holy and perfect God. I'm not sure that I understood what. <clears throat> well, the same we and, instead of I. That had nothing oh. to do with the holiness of God. That just had to do something with their own. Will. With man, of course, exactly. And that's the whole point with what we're saying here with, you know, uh, the same thing that. You know, it had to be just so, just so. If it wasn't, then it didn't count. It's not right. It has to be a certain way. So. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, part what of the Levitt. Priest play in the Day of Atonement. In the Day of Atonement, it's really interesting because you had the, the priesthood that would have uh, taken up. There were very special offerings mm-hmm. offered up on there. And of course, we see Jesus in, in many places within the Day of Atonement. Uh, the priest would have, uh, they would have had a, a sin offering. It would have been for Aaron and his sons, or for the high priest and all the priesthood uh, later on. And they would have taken one bull. They would have slaughtered that bull and offered up as a whole burnt offering before the Lord. They would have taken the blood of that uh, bull and poured out some of it on the east side of the altar. They would have anointed the horns of the altar. Then they would have taken that blood and they would have anointed the horns of the golden altar of incense in the holy place. And only the blood of those sacrifices entered all the way to the Holy of Holies. Uh, they would have taken that all the way through and uh, sprinkled it on the Ark of the Covenant 
to cover for the sins of Aaron and his sons. Second, they would have had two goats. One goat was called the scapegoat. Uh, in Hebrew, it's la'azazel. It means to an uninhabited and desolate place. But in modern Hebrew, it actually means hell. Well, they would have taken their, laid their hands on the head of that goat, signifying as taking the sins of all the nation of Israel, and they would have sent it out to this desolate and uninhabitable place. Mm. Well, many times we see Jesus as, as the slaughter and the sacrifice, but also as the scapegoat, because he was 40 days in the wilderness. Well, he wasn't alone there. Satan was there to tempt him. And he was tempted in every way as we were, and yet without sin. So he could make the atonement for us because he was without sin. But if he had sinned, if he had given in to any of the temptation, then he would have needed atonement. And he wouldn't have truly been the Messiah or the Son of God. He wouldn't have been able to offer up the sacrifice, the final sacrifice for all time. The second goat then they would have taken, they would have slaughtered as they did the bull, except it was for the sins of the whole nation. They would have taken it and they would have uh, slaughtered it. They would have taken, uh, offered it up as a burnt offering. They would have put the blood on the altar, anointed the horns of the altar, and they would have gone into the, into the golden altar of incense, anointed the horns there, and it would have been sprinkled on the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant. And within the Ark of the Covenant, you had the Ten Commandments. Well, the blood was sprinkled on the outside because he paid the price we had should have paid for uh, uh, the sins. So it's interesting. You have with Abraham one uh, man with one sacrifice within the sacrificial system of uh, Passover. You have one sacrifice for a family. Then with Yom Kippur, you have one sacrifice for a nation. And then with Jesus, you have one sacrifice for the whole world. So the tabernacle still has something to say to us today. Tabernacle's amazing. Now, when we first started looking at it, I, I was interested in the tabernacle. And it, it was something really to understand. But the more and more we just spend time and looking at that tabernacle and understanding how the, the thoughts even of Jesus always were back to the tabernacle, what it represented, how Jesus was represented in the tabernacle, I love it more and more every day. And the same is true for the temple later on. So what it applied for the tabernacle also applied to the temple as it, as it is. So, Okay, that's it for this week. Next week we're going to do part two of Yom Kippur. Yes, Dennis. Well, one comment. Yeah. Um, we talked last week about the uh, interval between the two uh, and, this, and the summer uh, being nothing happening. But actually that was the, the time of the harvest for the nation. Uh, literally the the fruits and so on uh, for the nation uh, and um, the harvest was celebrated at trumpets um, yes and and you, you mentioned the fact that that was the church age well that's what we are to be about we are to bring the harvest and and the the uh, temple or the trumpets of um, what we would call the rapture uh, the harvest is now, the genuine harvest is now with the Lord. Hmm. Uh, and there are no Christians who need to celebrate atonement because that's been done by Jesus. But the, the ones left were, will be the Jews. And they're, they're going to need to come to a, a point where they uh, come into relationship, a deep relationship with the Lord. Um, so... Um, uh, anyway, I just wanted to make sure that we were on track with that. Uh, you know, the, this, we are in the we are in the preparation for the harvest, which will come at the trumpet. And uh, as Jesus celebrated his harvest with the bringing of those out of the grave, so we shall come out of our graves at the completion of that harvest, 
and then uh, that whole process begins for the uh, other tr uh, other uh, uh, appointments. Yeah, I mean, as Jesus said, you know, uh, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And so there are just so many who need to be harvested for God, <laughs> bringing in the sheaves, you know, as it were, for him. And that's part of what we need to be all about and make this time not a time of just uh, not accomplishing anything for him, but this time when we're waiting for him to come back in the rapture and his second coming is a time when we're supposed to be out being his workers in that field that's ready to be harvested, you know, for his for his name and his kingdom. So that's it for me. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom.